riding the, the Easter wave since last week. It's just a, what a celebration that, that we got to experience together. Um, if you don't mind, open up your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 23. Um, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. We've been uh, doing a series we've called Crosswords, and it's been just the, the final words, a study through the final words uh, of what Jesus said on the cross, um, the things that, uh, that, that he mentioned and, and why they're important and, and what it's been all about. And last week, um, you know, as we talked about Easter, uh, you know, we, we just dove into to what that meant. And, and, you know, you would think that this series would end with Easter, you know. Uh, but the reality is um, it just didn't line up with our schedule. And we had one extra message and one extra chapter in the book that we've been reading. And we thought about moving Easter back a week uh, just to fit in better. Uh, but it, it, we decided to keep it. So anyway, um, I listened to this podcast recently called This American Life. And uh, they told this story um, uh, about uh, a small beach in, uh, in Southern California near uh, La Jolla, uh, which is, is just right outside of San Diego. And uh, back in the 30s, there was this uh, kind of harbor area, and they, uh, they put in a, a retaining wall to kind of protect the city, and then they built uh, about a couple hundred feet of beach. And I got a picture here uh, to show you. They'll pop it up here in just a second. Um, but there's this small stretch of beach, and... Uh, and you can see um, all those little dark lines there are not people, but they're seals. And uh, in the 30s, they built it for uh, children to come play and swim at this beach. But the seals, over the years, have kind of overtaken the beach. And they've kind of made it their own, and, and they've wanted it to, to be their own place. And uh, so as, as the seal population has increased there, um, the room and the space for humans has only kind of started to overlap a little bit. And, you know, the great part is the seals are really great with the people coming and sharing the beach with them. There was a, a story about somebody as they were swimming as a kid, they sat down right next to the seal and he kind of like leaned over his head for a pet, you know, and uh, it, everything was great. And then, you know, eventually, as, as curious, as, curious as, as sometimes humans are, they wondered, you know, what are some things that we can do to these seals? And, uh, you know, can we mess with them? And I can just imagine a, a teenage boy being down on the beach and, you know, poking it with a stick and, you know, doing different things. And, and you know, most of the time it, it was fine. But some of the real animal lovers out there started having some issues with these seals being uh, provoked. And uh, when, when a group of seals uh, gets pushed out into the water because they get scared, they deemed that as abuse of the animals. And so they started to, to form a coalition. And this coalition was solely in place to protect the seals. And so what they did, you can kind of see the stairs kind of in the, in the upper right-hand corner there. Those are the stairs, and up uh, above that is a parking lot. And what this coalition decided they should do is they should set up a table up there. And at the table, they were going to have, uh, have some flyers, and they were going to kind of campaign on behalf of the seals, and they were going to be the voice of the seals. And so they brought their megaphones, and any time somebody would get close to the seals, they'd holler down at them, hey, stay away, 
stay, stay within so many feet of these seals. And, uh, and so, you know, there are some people um, that were not very happy with that because, after all, this, this beach was, was man-made. It was meant for man. It was for children to come and play. And uh, many of the, the citizens in this La Jolla area kind of got a little frustrated with this and they were like you know you're stealing from the the tourists who want to come and and they want to just enjoy the beach in in southern california and and now you're scaring them off and people don't want to come if you're hollering at them through a megaphone to stay away from the seals so they formed a coalition and it was like the people's rights coalition so you got the people's rights and then you got the seals rights and as you can imagine, things began to just escalate in between these two groups. They had a table, and they had megaphones. The other group had a table, and they had megaphones. And, and then there's people selling T-shirts, you know, and, and like little seal keychains just jumping on the bandwagon. And, and it continues to grow, and just the, the frustration between the two groups continues to grow. And to the point where there's now lawsuits that are happening between the two groups and so and so spit in my face and that's battery and you know that kind of thing and and then it continued to get more ugly and and at one point in 2011 there were over 200 uh calls to the police for different incidences that were happening at this beach in la jolla california and finally there was, a, there was a couple of, of really extreme circumstances where it was like the, the peak of the escalation. There was a man who was provoking one of the SEAL defenders, and you know they were trying to make this line in the beach where humans could go on this side of the line and the SEALs could go on this side, and, and this guy kept like you know provoking and trying to get closer on the other side, and you know that made this other guy mad, and he was like, well, just you know, come at me. You know? He's like, just fight with me, and the guy tased him over seals okay keep in mind we're talking about seals here uh and just so you know seals harbor seals are not endangered in fact uh according to the agency that rates them they're of least a species of least concern okay they rate right there with pigeons okay so they're fighting over this. One guy ends up sending somebody else some death threats, and they uncover it because he, you know, he was. They they find out he was doing it at the library, and he checked in his own email account uh, right after he did his anonymous email account, and they got him, and he goes to jail for six months over seals. So listening to this story made me realize a couple of things. The first, as you can imagine, and you're probably thinking this too, is that some people have too much time on their hands. And the other is that we live in such a broken and fallen world that we can't even resolve our differences about who can use a beach that has seals on it. This is the world that we live in. And we could go on and on about the, the depravity of humanity and, and, and the way that just the brokenness of people as, as they are only thinking about themselves or that their priorities are, are just all mixed up. But man, this isn't anything new. We don't live in a society that's inventing new bad things to get frustrated about. In the, in the first century, Jesus got to see firsthand the results of a crooked and depraved human race. 
So Jesus is this man, this son of God that has come down to earth to communicate how much God loves us. But instead, he was taken to court. And he was beaten and abused and sentenced to death in the worst way possible. Just as a side note, as as we begin to uncover the story, this story just perfectly illustrates how God routinely uses poor human choices, poor human motives to elevate his glory and his story. So then Jesus is crucified on a cross with common criminals as if he were one of them. And that's the story we're going to unpack today in Luke chapter uh, 23. We're going to start at at verse 32. And it says this, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This thief, he mocks Jesus on the cross. And you can just see, just by the way he's talking to Jesus, he's really only interested to see if Jesus can get him out of his consequences for free. If he can get the proverbial get-out-of-jail-free card from Jesus. And I believe in in our own humanness and our own self-centered desires that we tend to land right where this thief is when it comes to interacting with the story of Jesus on the cross. We can be more worried with the consequences of our wrongdoings than we are about being sorry for what we've done. And when we do, when we are more worried about getting out of the the consequences that we have, it sounds just as critical and just as cruel as this thief does on the cross. Because I think if you're like me, most of us would probably say, sometimes we just want the get into heaven piece of following Jesus and not anything else. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to admit that we can't do it on our own. But we would love to have the gift of heaven. I don't think anybody would deny that they want that. But listen to the contrast in the way the other criminal acted. Verse 40, it says, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come 
into your kingdom. This criminal's response is humble. It's repentant. It's trusting. It's brutally honest. He fully accepts the blame and the consequences for his actions. And given just the reality of their situation, as they're hanging there on the cross, and Jesus is about to die, clearly there's not anything that he can do to get this other guy off the cross. There's nothing that he's, he's going to be able to do. But it's, it just shows his impressive faith. The impressive faith that, that he has that Jesus can grant him forgiveness and eternal life. On this hand, this criminal, like many of us, we don't have a great understanding of what it really means to be a Christian. He, he didn't have his act together like many of us, but he did have something that we all need. And it was a simple trust in the man who is forgiving people at the cross. He had a simple trust in a man who is forgiving people at the cross. And in verse 43, Jesus answered that thief. And he said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, what incredible words to hear. What a relief that criminal must have felt. An enormous pressure was just lifted off of his shoulders. I bet he died in peace, just having the assurance of being with Jesus in paradise. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word paradise. To me, it's the beach. Love the beach. Love being out there in the sun as the waves are coming up. I'd prefer it if I was the only one on the beach or, or me and my close family. Not a huge crowd fan when I'm at the beach. Just want to enjoy it. And the cool thing is, you know, in the in, in the life that I've had, I've, I've had quite a few opportunities to be at the beach. One of the most amazing beaches I ever got to be at was on a mission trip to Trinidad and Tobago. I don't know if you know where Trinidad and Tobago is, but it's, it's a th about 30 or 40 miles off the coast of Venezuela. It's crystal clear waters. I mean, gorgeous. Picture I took of being on the beach that day looks like a postcard. I mean, it is amazing, and I long to be there. It's paradise. But Jesus tells him, you will be with me in paradise. We need to long for that. You know, Easter came last week, and we got to have this great celebration, and we, we read through the story of the two thieves on the cross, and Man, it seems like it's, a, it's just a feel-good story that the thief gets to go to heaven now. and So we can, you know, we can all just rejoice in that. We can all go home, right? After hearing that feel-good story and celebrating Easter. But there's something else that we need to address. We need to address our own salvation. We need to look at our hearts and determine which thief we are. 
and the way we're coming to Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. We need to hear this morning that Jesus has saved us from our sin. He endured all the pain and all the suffering for us. And he did it for so much more than to just save you from the consequences of your sin. He did it for an eternal relationship with us. And I know that there are some of you in here today that have been waiting to make this decision to live for Jesus because it means that maybe you don't get to do what you've always wanted to do or live the life the way you've always wanted it. Or maybe you feel like that there's a time later in life, maybe you're going to have a, a deathbed conversion. Maybe that's what you're planning. Because it doesn't fit in with your plans to do it right now. It doesn't fit in with your current lifestyle to do it right now. Or maybe you've thought that you've been letting things go in your life for far too long and the guilt is so heavy that you need to get clean or you need to fix some things before you can begin to trust in Jesus. This series, we've been basing it off of this book by Erwin Lutzer. One of my favorite quotes from this chapter is this. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in our past. Hmm. There's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in our past. There is grace, there is forgiveness, forgiveness for us all. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from the Message Translation. It says, for instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, They will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not human made, not handmade. And we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. Can you resonate with that? And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, that paradise. Our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite, giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. And when we accept Jesus, when we admit that He is the Lord of our life, He puts this little bit of heaven in our hearts so that we never settle for less, but we long for what's to come. And some of you might be thinking, man, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, longer than you've been alive, Adam. And you might be of the opinion that you don't need to hear this story again. This is the same old, same old. I, I know exactly what Jesus did for me. We talked about it last week at Easter. We need to be reminded that this is not our home. There's so much to strive for. Living in our house, we have three bedrooms, 
in one full bath. And five of us live in there. And three little boys who like to pee on the seat. And sometimes it's hard to get any privacy or to have your own bathroom. And sometimes you just wish for a different place. You long for something different. Maybe a a, a house with more space to spread out your junk, you know? And I think that's what this picture of 2 Corinthians is painting for us. Just this desire for something different. This desire of what heaven is. It goes on to say in verses 6 to 8, That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. Man, we need to hear this message of the gospel of Jesus often. We need to hear him say to us, truly, you will be with me in paradise. We need to be reminded that no matter what, no matter how we've acted in the past, there is enough grace for us at the cross. So what's our action point today? How do we respond with this text? How does this change the way we live now, and and cause us to live differently moving forward. I think that we allow this simple text to just be a model for us. We need to act like the thief on the cross who acknowledges his sin. We just need to acknowledge that we're wrong, that we've made mistakes, and simply trust that God is who he says he is. And he wants us to be in relationship with him. And when we do this, we can have this huge sigh of relief that our salvation isn't dependent upon our own works. And then once we're at this place, once we get to that place, we need to act like the freed people that we are. People who have been given such a good gift that we can't help but tell everybody else about it. In the last few lines of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, say this, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work by making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Man, there's, there's somebody you know out there. Maybe it's you, but there's, there's somebody that every one of us knows 
out there who needs to hear about paradise. And when I come home from a vacation where I've been, or, or even a mission trip where I got to experience an, an incredible beach, I want to tell people about it. When, when I've been given a good gift, I want to tell people about it. I want them to get in on the good gift. I want them to experience it. I want them to experience what paradise is like. And the question is, will you be the one that will share paradise with them? Let me pray. Father, God, we just come before you now. God, we ask that you would shape us, that you would mold us, God, that we would be willing to accept the gift that you have so graciously given us. It's an eternal life, God, with you. Father, I just pray right now, God, as there might be people in this room, Father, have been reluctant to make a decision to live for you, Father. God, may they be inspired by your words. God, may they long for heaven and paradise so much that they they need to make a decision, God, today. God, would you inspire them to do that? God, would you inspire the, the people that are in this room right now, God, to tell others about this incredible gift we've been given? to experience the grace that all of us so desperately need. God, we praise your name this morning. And it's in your name that we pray.